Hey y'all, Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They had been been around the block a time or two. What's the first deal they built, I bet? No, no, you know, I think they were, the the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, a.k.a. Dr. Daniel Pierce of UNC Asheville, to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped up car, and he he complained that the government gave him these piece of crap, cheapo cars, and that, that were really no match. But he thought he was doing pretty good, and then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappears. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And as he said, it was a game of chicken, and I was the chicken. And so he ran off the road. And actually, he was the guy who who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steal when Junior got tangled up in a a barbed wire fence. So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast, available on YouTube, DailyDownForce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Vault Podcast. Eric Estep here. One of my favorite parts of being a NASCAR fan is collecting diecasts. It's how I got my start on YouTube, actually. To me, a room is not complete until it features shelves of NASCAR diecast cars. It's as good a time as ever to continue your collection or begin an all-new one by pre-ordering your favorite driver's 2022 next-gen diecast at LionelRacing.com or at any authorized Lionel retailer. Lionel is the official diecast of NASCAR, and don't miss Lionel Racing's NASCAR Authentics diecasts at a Walmart or Target near you. Not only is Lionel the official diecast of NASCAR, but they're also official supporters of the Out of the Groove Podcast Network. So what are you waiting for? Head to LionelRacing.com to order your favorite driver's 2022 diecast. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, your source for all things NASCAR history. Presented by QWare. Maintain excellence. I took two bottles of sleeping pills, and uh, somebody gave me a bottle of Captain Morgan's rum, and I washed it down with that and went to bed with uh, the intent of never waking up. Steve and I sat down Saturday at the North Carolina Auto Racing Hall of Fame in Mooresville with Cliff Champion, 
who has worked in and around NASCAR forever. He has worked with Richard Childress. He's worked with James Hilton. He was with Rainier Racing when Buddy Baker won the 1980 Daytona 500. He worked for Die Guard Racing. He was crew chief for Benny Parsons. He has also worked with Phil Parsons. He's worked for a time with Hendrick Motorsports and Jeff Gordon. Uh, you name it, he's worked there. And Cliff is a great guy. Now, the interview itself was amazing. But after I stopped recording, Cliff kept on talking with Steve as I got the sound file saved and backed up and everything. And what I heard them saying left me speechless to the point where when I finally did kind of regain the ability to speak, I asked Cliff if he would be willing to tell his story on the record. And without hesitation, he said that he would be glad to share it. So here's the deal. As happens with so many of us, Cliff hit rock bottom. And he hit rock bottom hard in about 1990 or so. And he tried to kill himself. Not once, not twice, but three times. And he very nearly succeeded. Fortunately for Cliff, he was able to get some help. We're going to release this part of the interview with Cliff as a special episode of the podcast today, right now. I just had this very powerful, overwhelming feeling that I wanted to go ahead and release this today because the fact of the matter is I felt like somebody out there might need to hear it. So we're going to go ahead and release the two Tommy Houston episodes this week and next, and then we'll get into the main part of our conversation with Cliff on Wednesday, November the 11th. But I talked to Steve and we agreed to release this early as a special episode. So we're not releasing it to preach. We're not releasing it for any other reason than to say you are not alone. If you're feeling like there's no hope, you are not alone. So all I'm asking is that if you're at rock bottom right now, for whatever reason, reach out to somebody, ask for some help. Here is the conversation with Cliff. Cliff, we had actually stopped recording yeah, and just talking and, you know, whatever, catching up. And you mentioned a, a period in your life that was really, really tough. And to be honest with you, I, it really struck me because it, it was very tough for you. Yes. For our listeners, tell me what was going on. What what was taking place in your life Well, at that point? I was kind of in between jobs and racing and was having trouble with the marriage. You know, I didn't didn't realize it. I didn't realize I was having trouble with the marriage. You know, evidently she was having trouble with the marriage. But uh, it's strange. A man, you need to uh, have a purpose in life. You know, you need to have a reason to get up every morning. And if you've got a job, if things aren't going well at home, you get up and you look forward to going to the job and everything, and you get through that. If things aren't going well at the job, then you come home and you got the wife, you got the family. So you need something good in your life. And at the time. Uh, the marriage was going downhill, didn't have a job, everything was falling down around me, and she all of a sudden came in and announced that she was leaving. She left, just like that. Uh, I, and I had, I had, I noticed I had won races and stuff, won races with Benny Parsons, and that was about the time I had met her. 
but it was strange because we won the race at Atlanta and we left out and stopped at the Red Lobster coming up from the racetrack right there, carried the trophy in and set it in the middle of the table and ate dinner at the Red Lobster right there. You get home and all the guys, wives meet you at the shop. And I didn't have anybody. So they all meet and I just kind of sitting there by myself and I drive home, walk in the house, it's dark, you know, quiet, turn on the TV, you know, sit there, you know, by then it's one or two o'clock in the morning and you're sitting there, hmm, won the race today. Guess I'll watch another TV show. And there was no, when the race is fun, but when there's nobody to share it with, it's almost like a tree falling in the forest. There's nobody to hear it. Did it really happen? It was, it was the same kind of a thing. So uh, I realized then that relationships were something else because you work your whole life. And I'd been to Victor Circle with other drivers. This is the first one that I was crew chief for. It was my first, you know, big win right there. And then it was like, eh, it seemed like no big deal. There was, is this all it is? <laughs> you know, right there. So um, she and I ended up getting married and stuff. Uh, and I got down the road, got in between jobs and stuff, and, and life just got tough right there. Like I said, I, did, I didn't realize uh, how bad it was, and she just announced she was leaving. So uh, with, without having a wife or a job or, you know, having anything right there to uh, hold on to, I, I went to those dark places that you do, you know, and a lot of people don't realize, you know, it happens at night. You know, and, and most of your suicide attempts, things like that, are, are late in the hours because when the sun comes up, it's a pretty day the next day, and you got hope. I mean, it's like when you don't have a job, and you say, I'll find me a job today. But at the end of the day, you're like, man, I still don't have a job, you know, and you go back into that dark hole again at the, at the nighttime right there. So I, I, I tried a uh, suicide attempt uh, right then, and then probably uh, this was like uh, October, and then I tried it again in... Uh, uh, November of again, 91 I might have been 90 I think okay. it was yeah. and because uh, I ended up I think I got saved in uh, 91 right there then I did it again right there at Christmas right there right around Christmas I did it again and uh, the last time uh, one of the one of the guys in racing a couple of guys in racing lived in my neighborhood Gary Brooks a uh, good friend lived across the street from me over there just maybe two houses across the street from me over there and uh, Johnny Bruce yeah JB that worked for U.S. Tobacco that I worked with when I was at Benny Parsons, he lived around the corner, and um, I had gone. I had gone in the house and I took uh, two bottles of sleeping pills, and uh, somebody had given me a bottle of Captain Morgan's rum, and I washed it down with that and went to bed with uh, the intent of never waking up, and. Uh, the next morning, I guess Gary had seen my truck in the driveway, and everybody knew I was in bad shape, uh, mentally in bad state. So uh, Gary knocked on the door, no answer. So he called JB, and he said, "I think we, I think we need to get him out of there." So uh, they called the police, and they came. When they broke the door down, they said that I walked around the corner, uh, stark naked, with the eyes rolled back in my head. Said, so "All you can see was the whites of your eyes," and I don't remember any of it. But uh, I guess it was all the pills and stuff that had such an effect on me, and they took me to the hospital. I was there for. Uh, that was, must have been like Sunday, and I think they said I was in a coma until uh, Tuesday afternoon. And uh, and when I came to, that was the first I knew it. They told me about how Gary and them and how everybody had found me right then. But uh, yeah, it didn't it didn't it didn't mean a whole lot to you or anything like that. And you know, 
couple weeks later at the hospital is when Phil Parsons called me and offered me a job of uh, crew chief in his Bush, Bush team. And uh, so I went over there and did that. But the first day at work, uh, I told Phil, I said, look, Phil, I said, man, I need to talk to somebody. I said, uh, I ain't doing real well. I said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not so stupid. I said, the, I've tried three times. The first time I wanted to kill myself. The second time I was crying out for help. And the third time I was trying to kill myself. I said, so sooner or later, I'm going to succeed. I'm not so stupid. You know, I'll, I'll get it right sooner or later. And uh, he told me, he says, I, 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 I know who you need to talk to. And uh, he put me in touch with uh, Max Hilton over at Motor Racing Outreach, which, which did all the chapel services at the racetrack and everything. But to me... That stuff was for people that were weak and couldn't handle it before. You know, that's why I always yeah. thought about it. You know, uh, yeah. I wasn't against it, wasn't for it. You know, I had no feelings about it. And uh, anyway, I talked to Max, and he invited me to their retreat that happened about a week later. At the end of the season, they'd go to Hilton Head, and uh, Bobby Hillen let me go down a room with him. His wife stayed home, so I, I rode down and stayed with him. And the first day there, I heard the speakers, and I'm telling you. <laughs> I, and I tell people, I said, you know, racers, we don't believe anything unless we see it. I mean, somebody can come to you and said, hey, you try this spoiler on your car, and this rear spoiler, and it's going to pick you up two-tenths of a second. Like, I'll log that back, but I'm not going to believe it until I try it and see it. And I tell them, I said, you know, that first day, they had some of the best speakers down there. And I said, I'll be honest with you. I said, I didn't see God. I said, I didn't, didn't talk to him, nothing like that. But I heard these guys. And the feeling, I said, I came here not only wanting to die, but trying to die, crawling around on the floor trying to die. And I left here jumping up and down with joy. Huh. I mean, it was like you threw a switch like that. And uh, I got saved, actually. Uh, Ron Pegram and his wife, Jackie, that worked with MRO, they were all sitting at a table. They called me in the motel room that night, and they said, look, man, I said, I wish my wife could see this. I wish she could get down and hear this. So he called. They offered to fly her down, and she says, nope, not interested. So uh, he said, well, I know she's not coming down, but uh, how, how do you like that? I said, man, this is great. Best thing ever happened to me in my life. He said, how would you like to feel like this all the time? I said, put me in. <laughs> so we prayed the prayer right there. I gave my life to Christ right there in the motel room. I did not know Yeah. That. Sure did, and it, it, I mean, it's not a magic pill. I mean, it doesn't, all of a sudden, all your life is rosy, but what it does is it gives you the strength and tools to get through the other things. Right. I mean, there were some rough times, but I'm telling you, God and the Holy Spirit have their hand in your life. When I was working for Phil, there'd still be some tough times. I remember one night, I crouched down behind the race car. 10, I'd stay at work because I had no place to go, nothing to go home to. So it'd be 10.30 at night. I remember especially one night, I'm I'm kneeled down behind the race car, just crying. He said, "God, this, this is tough." And they're saying, "I don't, I don't care anymore. You know, I just it, it's hard." And all of a sudden, the phone would ring, ten thirty at night, and he'd be Lake Speed. Huh? <laughs> he'd say, "Cliff, I don't know what you got going on, but God told me to call you." Wow! And it, it lifts yeah. you right back up. And that happened several times. I'd say two or three times that happened. Somebody right when I was down, somebody would call. And uh, it really ended up being, you know, one of the greatest things of my life to, sure. to get to know God. Before that, I wasn't against God, but somebody asked me one time, they said, you believe in God? I said, well, not really. You know, I mean, I said, I don't have any feelings one way or the other. They said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, how do you feel about the price of tomatoes over in Somalia? 
<laughs> Same way with me. I mean, I was racing. Yeah. I, I was busy yeah. racing. I mean, people don't realize how involved you got in racing back then. I mean, you were running full-time all the time. There wasn't yeah. as many people in the shop. You were working late at night and stuff. I mean, when I was working over at uh, Copenhagen team, I went to the bank one day. And I asked the lady, I said, what's the date of the day? I said, what, what's the date? She goes, uh, 23rd. I said, no, what's the date? She says, Monday. I said, Lee, what month is this? <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't have a clue what month it is. You know, when you're racing that hard, instead of you don't know who the governor is, you don't know who the president is, you don't know who anybody is. Yeah, you're bro. just, yeah. you know, yeah. you know where you're going to be next week. You're going to be at the yeah. racetrack. And, and all of y'all know that as you're going along, I mean, everything you relate said, when did you get married? Well, let's see. It was uh, we got married in between the break between Daytona, and <laughs> hey, that everything relates to between this week and that week of what racetrack is. That, that's what that. you don't know what month it was. They said, well, was it the fall race? It was a spring race, so it must have been May. You know, that's that's the only way you know. I'm telling you. As Cliff was talking, I had no idea what to say, but I do know this, whatever it is that you might be going through, no matter how empty you might feel, like I said in the intro, you are not alone. Reach out to somebody, reach out to me here at the podcast, send me a direct message on Twitter, send me an email at scenebought at yahoo.com and we will figure out a way to get you some help. We'll figure out a way to get you somebody to talk to. So hang in there. Okay?